Hey y'all, last September I was joined by a special guest, Jake Olson. And in 2017, Jake inspired the sports world as a long snapper for the USC football team. And while extra points in football aren't usually a big deal, this one was because Olson is legally and completely blind. But that wasn't uh, that wasn't all, right? So his inspiring journey goes further and further. Uh, we discussed the cancer that took his eyesight, the journey to USC and his story there, and what inspired him to become an NASM CPT. Also wanted to remind you guys about our upcoming Optima virtual conference. It's taking place October 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and Jake Olson is a scheduled presenter. Really excited about that. And we're going fully digital again this year, giving attendees access to more than 100 fitness professionals and related sessions that you just jump into. You can head to nasm.org slash virtual dash optima dash 2021 to get more information about this year's state and slate of events. So we look forward to seeing you at Optima 2021. You are listening to the NASM CPT podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm joined with a special guest who, his name is Jake Olson, and you may have seen him on ESPN because I saw a little clip on ESPN about him years ago when he was the long snapper for uh, the USC Trojans. And listen, it does your opinion about USC doesn't come into play here. has nothing to do with anything, but this man is incredible. Jake there's something really unique about Jake as a long snapper and as an athlete is that Jake Olson is blind. Uh, I'm going to let him share his story a little bit about when that happened and uh, and give us a little information. But here's what's also fascinating. And one of the reasons we connected with him is that Jake just passed his certified personal trainer course with NASM. And now he's a certified personal trainer. So congratulations on that, Jake. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, no, one of my one of my favorite things that I hear from people, probably one of the favorite thing I hear from people is when I'm traveling, um, especially in the Midwest. You know, there's a bunch of Notre Dame Irish fans over there, and they always go, you know, Jake, I'm, I'm a Notre Dame fan, but I love your story. So yeah. I, I, I collectively uh, group all college football fans together and be, be the uh, point where everyone gets along. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, trust me, as an Alabama fan, I don't have any friends outside of the state. So <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. And it's it's uh, it's good to hear your voice too, Rick. I uh, I heard a lot of it while studying for the test, so it's it's good uh, to, be, to hear it more now afterwards. That's awesome, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks for being on this. I really appreciate it. I remember uh, scrolling through and seeing that you had posted on Instagram a photo. You were holding up your uh, your certification, your um, the certificate. Yeah, and I was like. That's Jake Olson. <laughs> no, man, I was I was so pumped. It's um, and we'll get to it later on, but it's something that I wanted to do after graduating college, and you know the pandemic hit, and it's like here I am, kind of at home, not being able to travel, kind of wondering what to do in the meantime, and it was like, why not? You know, why not spend the, the necessary time now to to study and get this uh, degree? So here we are. I think that those two words probably exemplify your life thus far, which is why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? That's, yeah. 
That is that is is true. Um, you know, we can we can I can I can kind of give the Cliff Notes version for um, for everyone who yeah. has my story or needs a little refresher. But when I was eight months old, I was born with a rare form of eye cancer called retinoblastoma, and it was in both my eyes. When the doctors found it, they had kind of found it late to the point where it had progressed in my left eye to a point where we couldn't really even treat it. And the fear with retinoblastoma is that it does exist in the retina of the eye, and so it can easily move from the retina through the optic nerve into the brain and then from there to the rest of the body. And so wow. in the instances where you can't treat it, um, they don't feel like they can contain the cancer, the removal of the eye then becomes necessary. Um, so you do remove the eye, you do remove the cancer by removing the eye, but again, obviously you leave the child sightless then, um, given that you obviously took out their eye. So they took out my left eye when I was just baby, about one years old, and then when I was, um, and, but we were actually were able to fight it in my right eye. It was, it was only about half as bad in my right eye. So we did okay. treat the cancer and beat the cancer in my right eye. And it went away for a couple of years, but unfortunately, uh, a couple of years later, it did come back. And that started just a, a cycle in my life of that cancer coming back, fighting it and coming back, fighting it, coming back. By the time I was 12 years old, um, that cancer came back eight times. And so uh, at the age of 12, it came back in, uh, in the fall of 2009. And the doctors, unfortunately, told me as a little kid um, that I was in the same situation as I was when I was a baby, and that is we, we couldn't treat the cancer anymore. You know, I maxed out on chemo and maxed out on radiation, and therefore, um, we, had no, we had no more options uh, to treat this cancer. And so the option left, as I mentioned before, was the removal of the eye, which would save my life, you know, would remove the cancer and cure me of the cancer, but obviously would leave me permanently blind um, by taking my only I left. And so that's what happened. And it, it, it was devastating news, you know, as you can imagine, it was pretty frustrating just right. um, not only thinking about living the rest of my life without sight and the scary uncertainty of that, but also the fact that, you know, as a 12 year old, I, I spent my entire life fighting this thing, you know, constantly being in the hospital and, and trying to make sure this never happened. So to be told at the end of the day, it was going to happen was just, was very frustrating. But as you mentioned, I did not let that stop me. I remember Kind of coming home from the uh, the hospital that day after losing my eyesight and really having a having a a moment where I said, okay, you know, there's there's really two ways I could come through this now, and that is sit here and, and sit on this couch and feel sorry for myself and think about all the cool things I could have and would have done if I never lost my eye. But um, you know, here I am blind now, so I'm gonna have to forfeit all my hopes and dreams. But that's not how I wanted to live my life. You know, no one's ever satisfied taking that road. But the the alternate row, which is, hey, this is going to be tough. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. This is going to be really yeah. tough. I'm going to have to relearn how to pretty much do everything. But that doesn't mean I have to give up on living a life that's meaningful, doing the things that I love, which includes playing sports and being a good student and having fun with my friends. Um, and little did I know at that time, exercising. And so, um, you know, that that definitely was something I, I, I took upon myself to go down that road and to, to go through the frustrations and the learning curve. But knowing that it would be worth it at the end of the day. And that's what would lead me down uh, to live a satisfying life. And so that's what I did and started playing football, started playing golf again, went to high school, um, remained a, a straight A student, uh, started playing high school football my junior year. Um, and we can kind of get that into that a little later, but, you know, ended up playing long snapper my junior and senior year for varsity um, here in Orange Lutheran in California. And uh, my senior year after, after graduating, um, you know, I kind of, at the age of 12, when I was losing my eyesight, Coach Carroll had brought me in, and that's where you, you saw that first story at ESPN. That's but, right. So keeping in connection with USC, by the time I was graduating high school, they uh, they offered me a walk-on spot at, on the Trojan football team, and so that's where I played four years of college ball. 
Oh man, that had to have felt so good. Yes, yeah, it did. I mean, it was it was funny because you know Carol was there when he brought me in, and you know it was an awesome experience at the age of twelve. Uh, and I'm still good friends with Carol today, but nice. He left the next year to go up to Seattle. So then Lane comes in, and you know it's kind of okay. Lane was awesome to me, but you know it wasn't it wasn't Coach Carroll, and things kind of changed. And then Kiffin was left after three or four years, and then um, Sarkeesian came in, and that, by that time I, I'd started playing high school football. And so you know here we are, a few coaches removed. Everyone loved me at USC still, but since I did start playing high school football, interesting, interestingly enough, they had to see me as a recruit. You know, um, I, I was under all the, the bylaws of the NCAA um, that any other high school football player was. So by the time I was up there at, at a practice as a recruit my senior year, Coach Sarkeesian came up to me and he's like, hey, um, you know, he had come to plenty of our games because you know, playing in the training league here in California, there's, there's so much talent. So he had seen me snap and, you know, I was a good snapper. And so he said, hey, you know, are you planning to come to USC? And I said, there's, you know, obviously no other place I'd want to go. And he said, well, I, I don't see a reason why you wouldn't play football if you came. And I... And as soon as That's he said awesome. that, I was like, yo, yeah, there's no other way. There's no other, there's no other school. There's no other way I want to experience my college career. So. Uh, it's awesome. You know what else is awesome is that you just listed a, a bunch of coaches that have also cycled through after go, leaving UFC, uh, USC to go to Alabama to coach. So I'm like, Oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. I didn't, I didn't like them so much yeah, when they were yeah, at USC, so. but when they came to Alabama, I was like, yes. Dude, I want to ask a question just real quick. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, I want to get to some things, but I have to ask a question as a parent of a 12 year old, right? So I've got kids and before I get into, I want to talk about like your Instagram stories because I think some of them are absolutely hysterical. Uh, I want to ask about the uncomfortable conversations with a blind man, and then I want to get into to the fitness stuff and the lifting and things like that. And I want to I want to talk about it, but I want to ask a question just as a parent, um, and and I'm sure you're, you've had a conversation with your parents about this. So what was it like as a, a parent? that had to be a part of this decision-making process. Um, and then they have to learn along with you what it's like to, to be blind, to be without sight, to care and help and support somebody. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to put myself in your shoes, but it's, it's hard for me to put myself in your, in the parent's shoes as well. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I, I don't have kids and, you know, I, I say this, um, a lot when, when people ask that question, like I, to be honest with you, I, I, I can't imagine what they are, were going through, uh, have been through in some regards. I think honestly, what I went through was probably easier just cause I'm in my body. I'm in my shoes. I kind of have the ability to choose my attitude and to know that I'm going to be okay. Cause I'm just going to continue to push forward. Um, in their shoes, you know, they, they don't have control of me, right? So they don't know how I'm going to react. They don't know how my life is going to be, you know, if I'm going to end up depressed or if I'm going to, you know, quit on life. I, I, I don't know what they, what they were thinking. And, and I think that stress is something that I can't even comprehend. You know, I, right. I, I don't have kids, but obviously, you know, you said you do. And as a parent, you know, you care about your child more than anything, right? You just want to protect them and love them. And from a early stage, they kind of had to give that up as, you know, the baby had cancer and it's like, okay, this is out of my control. Um, and I'm going to love him and, you know, try to protect him as best as I can. And then, you know, as a 12 year old to see 
now this worst case scenario come about. Yeah, I can't imagine Rick to be honest with you. And and but one of the reasons why I didn't want to continue to push forward um, was for them, you know, just so that you know they could smile at me while I was playing football out there and playing golf and just living a life that you know they they can sleep peacefully at night saying, you know what, you know, we 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 fought as hard as we could, and even though it wasn't the end result we necessarily wanted, like nothing's changed, and here he is living um, life to the fullest. And so, you know, that's that's a great question and, and something that hopefully I never have to experience. Um, but you know, it, it is something that again I I, I don't even want to think about sometimes. No, I understand, man. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to think about it. And um, given the opportunity hearing you talk about it, it just it just twisted my heart a little bit. And I, I wanted to, to, to just inquire about it. Now, let's let's get into some lighter material. Mainly, look, dude, I love your Instagram stuff. You you're not shy about pointing out that you are blind. Um, <laughs> one of the things that you do on these Instagram stories is, you know, there's the the Dos Equis guy uh, who is is the most interesting man in the world. And so you're doing the spoof with the most interesting blind man in the world. And one of the things is you in a car kind of stopping and going and bumping forward and backwards. And it says the blind spot in his car runs from bumper to bumper. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love, uh, I love, we, we, we got a lot more coming for that, but yeah, I love just kind of making, making light of, of situations and having fun with it. You know, um, one of my favorite quotes in life is you can't take life too seriously. Otherwise you'll never make it out alive. And so, you know, having, having fun with things and, um, you know, enjoying just the, the funny sayings out there. I mean, that's, that's what I love to do. So plus oh, love creativity, it. man, it's, it's awesome. So yeah, check it, check it out. We, we got a lot more coming and it's, um, it's hopefully can make some people's days. I think it will. And the tagline, stay sighted, my friend. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I want to talk just real quick uh, for a couple reasons. One, um, it's almost as a preface, as an apology up front, if I say something that doesn't land right. And, and I think that you've experienced this so often that you took a page out of Emmanuel Acho's uh, book where he does the uncomfortable conversations with a black man, which by the way, I had never seen until you pointed it out on your IG page. And then I went through and watched about half a dozen of those, which are incredible. So shout out to Emmanuel Acho for doing that. But then you did something which was uncomfortable conversations with a, a blind man and discuss some of the things that pop up that people say and, you know, unintentionally, but they say things that maybe they don't think about or they don't consider as being maybe a little uh, wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I was kind of inspired by what he was doing because, it's, it, you know, there, there's so much in the society where you don't want to say the wrong thing and you kind of want to walk on eggshells. And it's like, you know, for some people who just don't know, you don't want to you don't want to condemn someone for for doing something they just didn't know. And so it's, let's just educate and kind of teach people, hey, this is right. This is wrong. Um, and I appreciate everyone kind of just taking upon themselves to learn. Um, and, you know, Manuel Acho kind of did that with his. And so I just want to do that with with my, um, you know, how I live my life. And so, yeah. you know, we, we talked about just things because I get all the time, you know, when people say, are you blind? Are you visually impaired? They don't know really what to, to call me or, or say. And, you know, I kind of point out there that one, you know, when people say visually impaired, like it doesn't really describe exactly what, you know, I'm going through. There's lots of visually impaired people out there who, who have various um, you know, ranges of sight. 
where a blind person you know, just is blind. You know, they, they can't see anything. A lot of people are like, you can't see anything. Like, I always laugh at that too. I'm like, no, I, I, I lost my eyes. Like I don't have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, but I'm laughing along with you, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like how did, no, I, like your eyes are the, the, the things that get you to see. So if you don't have them, you know, there's, there's no light perception, there's nothing. But, um, but other things I think that are just important that, you know, I learned actually going into high school, I, I went through K through eighth grade. So I knew all kind of my friends there after I went blind my seventh grade year. So, you know, I knew voices, I knew personalities and people, everyone that was at my school. But when at the high school, it was like 1,300 new kids. And one of the things I kind of realized right away is that, you know, as a blind person, you can't really make eye contact across a busy hall with your friend and kind of navigate over to the edge of the lockers and talk. Like, you kind of have to pick out voices and, and um, recognize voices and, and to be able to initiate a conversation if you don't then you're just kind of waiting for someone else to initiate a conversation so you know a couple of things i love talking about when when people ask me you know what's the hardest thing about being blind it's like you know sometimes you have to kind of depend on others to just create and start a conversation with you um especially you know they don't know you're there right like my best friend could be two lockers down um and i just don't know he's there just because you know i haven't heard his voice you know i don't know who's who's who so that's something I kind of love talking about. Just, you know, go up to a blind person and, and let them know you're there and let them know, you know, um, when you leave the conversation and, you know, what do you do when you shake hands? I, I love in high school, too, because there's so many times I was walking down a hallway and, you know, some guy would be like, what's up, Jake? I'd be like, hey. And they put out their hand to give me a high five. And I was kind of leaving hanging, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's like I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude, you know, but um, but yeah, so you know, just letting people, hey, give me a high five, or hey, you know, shaking your hand, or just you know, using verbal cues, using your your voice to kind of just describe what you're doing or anything like that is is always helpful too. So there's a lot of interesting topics, and you know, I, lo I love people to go check it out. I'd love for people to go check it out too. But now, now let's get into some of the the fitness stuff. Um, listen, Jake, you're jacked, bro. You are jacked. And I remember seeing you with that sleeveless shirt and the shoulder pads, the UFC, uh, USC uh, outfit, like the uniform when you were out there. And I'm like, yo, that dude is yoked. He's, you were jacked, bro. Um, and you weren't like that as a kid, obviously. You were uh, and, and blind going into it. What what drew you to to lifting? Like, when did you start doing it? And then how did you get so into it? Yeah, so like I said, my, my high school, um, going to my freshman year and sophomore year, I was always a tall kid too, so I was always kind of tall and lanky. And so um, my freshman and sophomore year, I didn't really play football. I played golf, but I wanted to get back on the field and enjoy the game I love so much. And so yeah. kind of started lifting my junior year as I, as I became uh, a long snapper, but didn't really know what I was doing. You know, obviously the high school strength that helped me, but I, I really wasn't doing anything um, – you know, that was, was going to probably put on pounds. And when I got into USC, I had a conversation with a couple of the doctors at USC and they were just worried with, um, you know, me not being able to see it, getting hurt out there. Um, and that kind of, I took kind of offense to that where the fact is like, you know, man, I, I just played two years of varsity. Like I can do this, but if you're looking at me and, and thinking this, I want to, I want to make the reality that if you tell that to anyone publicly and they look at me, they're going to look at you side eyed like that, that right. kid get hurt. Like, you mean that guy right there? Like, so <laughs> I, you know? and so I was very blessed to have a, um, a coach, a strength coach at USC my freshman year. His name was uh, Nick Donnelly. I call him coach Nick. 
And he is one of the uh, he, he's one of the best strength coaches I've ever been around. Not the best, um, just a guy that fires you up, wants you to get big. He just taught me the ropes at USC and set me up for four years of just really working hard in the weight room, understanding how that translated the football field, but just understanding how that could build your body, what to do with your diet. I mean, he just really kind of laid it out and inspired me then to to really want to learn more about it. And um, I, I found kind of the weight room to honestly be therapeutic. I, you know, being in there, just lifting hard, um, taking your anger out on the weights, just, you know, going through whatever's bothering you, just taking it out there in the weight room. I, mean, I can't picture or imagine a better outlet than that. And so yeah. really just after I graduated again, I just wanted to help anyone else who was kind of going through a tough time just to, to find that outlet. Um, and what I want to do is obviously be, you know, educated in what I was telling people and being able to help them in the best way possible. And that's why I really wanted to, to get my CPT. And so I, I, I love I love doing it, man. It was, it was it was the easiest school I've ever been to. Not that it was easy, but it just was, you know, something I'm so passionate about that I love learning about. Hey, you know, what what does this do? Um, you know, the kinetic chain, like how does that impact this? You know, what what kind of represents it? It was kind of cool because going back, I could see in my programming at USC, like, oh, okay, so this is why I was throwing the medicine ball after doing the bench. You know, like stuff like ah, yeah. Let me ask a question. What what made you what made you decide to to go with NASM? What was you know? Did somebody recommend it? Was it a strength coach? Did you hear about it? What was that? What drew yeah, you to that? Pretty much, it was you know just everyone was hey, this is the best. This is you know the the best laid out and the most reputable. So just just go with them. And and I, I researched it and did some stuff. And yeah, definitely NASM is is the uh, world renowned you know strength uh, strength program out there so I, I loved it it was it was awesome i mean again you guys' videos and and the book and just everything kind of about it was was so easy to follow along and just really the work you put in the amount you wanted to study was what you're going to get out of it which i find really i i like i guess funny because that's exactly how the weight room works you know like the the work you put in to lifting is what you're going to get out so there's no difference with nas like some type of some college courses and even high school courses like you just kind of, no matter how hard you try, like you just can't get an A, like you just can't get the grade you want. It's just too difficult or just set up in a way where the work doesn't reflect the grade. That's not the case. Like the work you put in to learn about this stuff, you're going to get out. Dude, I love that. How do you plan on on using this new education? Are you doing this uh, for personal betterment? Are you doing it to apply it to yourself? Are you doing it to work with uh, with other athletes? Like what's your, what's your goal here? Yeah, I mean, definitely apply to myself. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely want to help anyone uh, I can. You know, there's there's definitely people in my life that have already you know started help training. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to work at like a fitness center, though I think it would be fun and, and something I could do. Obviously, um, the fitness centers have been closed for a while here in, in California. They just reopened up kind of briefly here. So we'll see if it lasts like last time. But um, yeah. well, definitely, I just want to help people in, in any way possible. You know, I think there's so much positivity uh, and, and, and confidence that goes into putting work in your body and taking care of your body and seeing the return. You know, I think um, Coach Nick always told me the weights are your best friends. They'll never lie to you. You know, like you, you can either do it or you can't. and the work you put in your body is an amazing thing. As you know, like what you put into it is going to show returns. You know, you're not going to do bicep curls and be like, oh, man, like my biceps aren't getting stronger. No, they're going to get stronger. Like there's no there's yeah. no in the system. Right. Like you do it you do it right, you're going to get returns. And so um, I just want to help as many people as I can. You know, I, I really do. It's something I'm really passionate about, as you can probably tell. And so if that looks like just coaching 
10 to 15 clients on the side. Um, if that's becoming a full strengths coach one day, I'm not really sure to be honest with you, Rick, but I'm really passionate about it. I just want to kind of start building it from the ground up and see where it takes me. Dude, I think that's incredible. And you know what? That's the thing with a lot of education, right? I, yep. I, I'm doing education. I go to school. I do this. I don't, we don't know what we're going to do, <laughs> but, but we do it. This one's a little bit different though. Getting your certification for personal training. Um, you know, I, I got mine because I was, I've got a job as a personal trainer, but as an educator, Dude, I see people all the time. Uh, I see there's not a class or a workshop that I teach for the the live education for the content that yeah. doesn't have an attorney in it, doesn't have an accountant of some sort, doesn't have, you know, they come, people come from different places. And I ask them, you know, like, you got a pretty solid, good paying job. Are you, are you going to be a personal trainer? And most of them say, no, I just wanted to get certified. Yeah. I just want to learn. I'm passionate about exercising and I wanted to learn more about it. And this is how they did it. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's so many, again, there's so many benefits to, to working out. And, you know, we see that now it's just such a premium on having a healthy body uh, yeah. that, you know, I think that it's so, it's so important that people do realize what their body can do and, and the work that you put in your body and what, what kind of returns it can give you for a, a long, healthy life. I got a question about, um, Something that you did, I, I guess it was recently um, about raising money, doing do an event to raise money for a research study for people. I guess young kids with retinoblastoma is is that what happened? Can you talk me through this yeah. kind of setup? What you did, what what did you contribute that helped to raise money, and what are they doing in this research study? Yeah, so this was something that kind of landed in my lap as I was graduating college, and um, honestly, one of, one of my prouder moments in life. So when I was going blind in 2009 at the age of 12, I, I told you, you know, the doctors came to us and said there was, there was no more treatment options. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was true. Um, however, there was a device that was in the, the making my doctor was working on it at the time. Um, it was just this little device that they were able to put, uh, on the eye that would give non-systemic uh, chemo directly to the, the tumor. And mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it was just, it was way too early in the, in the process. You know, they, they just couldn't use it on me for safety reasons. And so, you know, I had to lose my eyesight, but I kind of lost track of it. Obviously, you know, I didn't really have to go to the doctors a lot anymore after taking out my eyes just because the cancer is completely gone, you know? Um, and so here I am 10 years later, pretty much, or eight years, whatever it is later. And, um, I wanted to use my pro day at USC, the bench press version, uh, you know, part of the pro day to raise money for just a cause. And I thought it'd be really cool, obviously, just given what I went through, it could go to retinoblastoma. So I, I contacted the doctors and the researchers that, you know, I'd, I'd grown up with and just said, hey, you know, is there a great organization that helps kids or does this or that, the other? And come to find out that this device was... It, is ready. And at the time it had been used on two kids in experimental and emergency use up in Canada. Um, and it's shown some really great results. And so they were wanting to raise money to start a clinical trial up at um, sick kids in Toronto. And so I took it upon myself then to raise money through my bench press. You know, every rep would raise so much money, um, depending on how many people you know pledge and stuff. And so we were able to raise close to $100,000 to go to that clinical trial, which was really cool just to see how many people were able to support me and, and be part of this. And sure enough, um, it was this summer 
that uh, finally that they were able to get everything, all the paperwork's done, and they were able to start treating kids in June. Um, and they were actually able, the first kid they were able to treat was a little 12-year-old boy who was kind of in the same situation I was in. Um, it, it's shown great promise. It's shown uh, it's, it's, the tumors are responding, and it, it, it's saving his eyes. Um, and it's, it's saving countless of other kids' eyes up there in, in, that, um, in that clinical trial. So we're, we're working on it to get commercialized, hopefully in the next couple of years here. But it's going to be a really cool new treatment to uh, make sure that, again, there's never a, a little boy or girl that's uh, in the situation I was where, you know, they don't have a treatment option anymore, that this is going to really be the, uh, the end all of, of retinal black film with taking kids' eyes, which is going to be so cool. Oh, God bless you, man. That is so absolutely incredible, dude. So uh, it, you mentioned Toronto. So I do have to ask about Quebec. How's Quebec doing? Yeah, Quebec is good. He's at my feet right here, man. But he's uh, he is doing good. He he's the only person in my life that doesn't like me lifting. He just he doesn't get it. <laughs> dude, what are you doing with that bar? Like, don't know. Stop. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, what what breed? What breed dog is Quebec? He's a yellow lab. I thought so. I had a black lab growing up. So when I saw the clips of him, I was like, oh, what a beautiful dog, man. Uh, hey, talk us through Pro Day. What is Pro Day like for what's Pro Day like for everybody? And then what's Pro Day like for you? What were you were you able to um, to compete or to to participate? I think is a word I'm looking for in in the events that go that everybody goes through. Yeah. So it's just kind of what you wanted to do. Um, you know, it's it's pretty pretty chill i mean you know obviously you know there's a lot of different nfl scouts that are there um you know it's 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 definitely serious but you know you're just putting your training into practice or you know into into action and um you know i was i was pretty much just wanted to do the bench press i you know i, I didn't want to kind of do anything else that day just because i was so focused on wanting to raise this money oh, sure. i was uh i was i i worked really hard for about you know eight weeks to, to really try to get my, my bench up. And so I, I was able to do 20, 225, 17 times. So I, I, I wanted, I wanted to get, but it was all good. I got 17 and it, it was, it was fun. That's, that's fantastic, dude. That's, I love it. Now you've talked to us a little bit about football, um, but you, you play golf and, and I'm trying to figure that one out because, um, <laughs> I'm awful at it and I can see how bad I am at it. So what talk me through with you, like, how does that, how does that work with, with your capabilities? I mean, I tell people all the time, if you are a millimeter off when the face of the club hits a ball, 300 yards down the fairway, you could be 60 yards off. Oh yeah. 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 No, it's, it's true. Um, you know, growing up, that was one of my passions, love playing golf. And when I went blind, it was something that, I wanted just to continue to do, as I mentioned, just continue to do the things I love. <clears throat> and so golf was one of those things. It was uh, pretty difficult. I went from a decent 12-year-old golfer to a 12-year-old who couldn't really make contact with the ball anymore. And it was starting from square one. You know, I had to learn how to make contact again. And, and then, you know, eventually it was okay. I hit a shot, good shot every once in a while. And then, you know, more good shots and trying to stitch good shots together when I was playing. And, uh, you know, started playing my – Frost off golf my freshman year and, and worked my way up. And again, there was a lot of frustration, a lot of embarrassing moments out there, but just kept pushing forward because I, you know, I could see the potential I had. Um, and eventually I did, you know, make varsity my senior year. And, um, you know, I, I haven't been playing as much in the pandemic. We actually, our golf course, we got shut down for like two or three months. And so I was, I was a little difficult. But I, um, you know, I, I it, on, on a good day now, 
Um, you know, I can shoot in the low 80s, so that's that's really good. And you know, trying to trying to get back to where I, I can kind of shoot in the uh, high 70s if I wanted to. So you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm you definitely are way better than me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a good golfer. You know, I, I'm I'm athletic build and and really can rip it out there. And um, it's something I really love pushing myself and just trying to become better every day. But what was interesting is, you know, your question of how I do it, uh, you know, we could kind of talk. It was interesting when I was reading, you know, the, the NSM book in chapter five at the end, he was talking about kind of motor learning. Um, and, you know, that's what it is. It's, it really is just my, my nervous system being able to understand what my body's doing, just feeling the motion of, of the swing and just repeating that over and over again with, with the external feedback, obviously I get from my dad and just, you know, feeling, my club face hit the ball cave. That that club face was wide open. You know what did I do there? Kind of going through it and just repeating that over and over and over again, yeah. where I just have that consistent swing and can just use the feel of you know my body and, and that muscle memory to just to, to hit a sweet golf shot every time. I want to ask. I want to get just a little more information from somebody uh, at a college level who has has taught motor learning. I'm fascinated by this, so I want to know what is um, you're, you're talked about being out there with your dad, but you know, uh, how does it set up? Is somebody at the hole? Um, and do they make noise? How do you know where to go and how far away you are? Yeah. So I started when I, when I went blind, um, I did start having someone tap on the, uh, the flag stick when I was putting so I can kind of hear the, the distance and engage mm -hmm. my, my strength of, you know, stroke with a putt to, to, get the ball there. Um, but eventually, um, it did speak where I just walk off the putt, you know, feel okay, it's 22 feet, it's a little uphill. Um, and I just have really to, to understand that, that feels like a stroke. Um, and so, you know, that goes along with chipping, obviously any full shot, just a full swing, but you know, when around the green with chipping or putting, um, it really is just my feel and understanding again, the, the how far I'm taking it back. And obviously the, the, the velocity at which I'm, I'm swinging through. Uh, it's nice because a lot of times there are some big dudes that that can not hit a golf ball very far. And there are some little dudes like me, uh, not like me, don't hit it like me, but they are small like me and they can crank that ball. So a lot of it is about technique and the fact that oh, yeah. you've got the technique on top of it where you can make that those drives as is pretty incredible. Hot, um, yeah, question, how, one of the things I, I kind of actually want to go ahead, go ahead. No, I was saying one of the things I, I kind of wanted to uh, now do, I was I was looking after kind of getting my certificate. Um, I, I, I forget what it's called, but NASM does have a, a kind of a golf specialty kind of strength uh, program there, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The golf fitness specialist. Yeah. yeah so I was, I, was, I was actually going to maybe do that next. Nice. Shout out to the golf fitness specialist. Dude, we'd love to have you go through that. I think that I think you'd really enjoy it and you could learn a lot about just kind of preparation for golf too, not necessarily the game itself, like how it's done, but you know, it's kind of like our MMA conditioning specialist. We're not teaching you how to fight MMA, but we're teaching you how to train as the way that MMA fighters train. So it's, it provides kind of the, the preparation work to help golf athletes prepare and do the strength, the conditioning, the performance, the mobility that you need in order to go out and, and play golf. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, you look at, you know, I mean, Dustin Johnson, I think, is a freak of nature regardless. But I mean, like just the flexibility they have in their hips. Um, I mean, that's that's where you're you're, you're getting a lot of uh, the power. You know, it's not necessarily about the muscles in, in your arms or shoulders or anything like that, but just 
kind of getting the, the, the body to kind of disconnect and fire through. I, I love it, man. I want to ask you a question about this. This is for everybody. Everybody has these days. But how do you deal with the days that you just aren't feeling it? Like, you know, the days that, that you don't feel good, the days that, you know, maybe there's some you know, down on yourself or down on down on the world. I don't know. How do you how do you, how do you deal with those days? Um, you know, I talk a lot about in my speeches, um, you know, a big part of it at the end is, is to answer that question directly is gratitude, you know, being grateful. Um, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, it's okay to be frustrated with your circumstance. It's okay to be angry with what's going on in the world or to you. Um, you know, I think people that push those feelings down and say, it isn't okay to feel these things, you know, you're only digging a deeper hole for yourself. And so it's okay to feel those, those feelings, let yourself feel those feelings. But where people get in trouble, uh, myself included, is when you let that anger, when you let the frustration, um, when you let the disappointment overwhelm your mind and your heart to a point then where you become blind to the blessings you still do have in life. And so don't become blind to the blessings you have in life. That's my advice to you. You know, there's always at least one thing to be grateful for. And, and the moments you can focus on those things, I promise you, um, you know, you'll, you'll feel a burden be lifted off your shoulder almost immediately. You know, it's, it's, it's something that it's a choice. Um, and they're, they're finding at USC actually I was talking to, to, uh, some researchers there that, that gratitude is a choice. And, you know, it's, it's about taking the 10 seconds to just remind yourself, Hey, my life sucks right now, but I'm grateful to have a bed to sleep in. Hey, my life sucks right now, but Hey, I'm grateful that I have a functioning body and can go lift and, and take out you know, the frustration on the weights. Um, at nighttime, writing three things you were grateful for that happened during the day as well. You know, don't lose perspective on the good things and the things that are still existing in your life that you can be grateful for. Not to set, not to push down those other feelings, but just to to balance that out uh, and do realize that you 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 are living a life that includes good things, and in those good things, you can make something out of it. Yeah, man, I I, I agree. It's not about trying to push down the stuff that is welling up in you, but it's about bringing up the positive stuff and, and shifting your perspective and shifting your focus. And I think that's a great lesson to, to learn. It's a great lesson to share. And it's something that needs to be trained like anything else. Um, you what, know, we, yeah, go ahead. Well, I say that's, that's what they're finding out is that, that it is a skill. It's not something that, you know, you're not born with a certain amount of gratitude. You know, it's not like I'm born more grateful than you are, Rick, but it is a skill and a choice that you are learning and developing your mind just like as a muscle so that when you do i, I love the i love the uh the quote when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change and it's really what you're doing with your mind you are you're changing the way your mind perceives your reality and the world around you to the point where you can pick out the good and and the things that in your in your life that you can be grateful for and the more you can do that the more you'll just realize it on a day-to-day -day basis you know you don't even have to try you're just like wow i am so grateful um, that, you know, I have a spouse I'm coming home to that made me dinner. Like that just is just something that is just going to come and flick in, in, in your in your brain. That's just going to be mad. That, that makes my night. Yeah, there's a I'm going to I'm going to throw out a song, uh, a lyric from a song. And the only reason I probably know this song is because of this particular lyric in it. But there's there's a it was a group called Sister Hazel. And I, I don't even remember what year it was or the name of the song, but there was a part of the song that it says, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind. And I was like, yeah, you can't be somebody else. You have to change your mind. And then I was like, no, that's, that, that, I think there's a little double meaning there. If you want to be somebody else, 
you change your mind, you change your perspective, and then you are somebody else. It's all about how we see, how we receive information, how we perceive ourselves. And so if we do want to be somebody else, we want to have that gratitude, we have to change our mind. We have to change our perspective. We have to reframe what's going on. And then through that practice, and that's why I talk, I talk somewhat regularly, even on this podcast about a daily practice, something that you do on a regular basis, because we, we have to develop consistency in what we do in order to change. We know that Jake from exercise, we know that from our studies, but to know that, or even to think about it, because it may not be something you think about, that gratitude, that mindset, those are things that we have to do consistently. We have to create a daily practice before they become a consistent thing that we do without thinking about them. Great. Well, that's why, you know, it's like I said, a good practice, just try it. Try it for, for a week or two, just at nighttime, literally just on your phone at notes or a piece of paper you keep by your bed, just, you know, write down three things that you're grateful for that happened during the day. And you'll be amazed at just like at the end of the two weeks, like how you just, you focus on those things more. They just, they, they're in your mind. They're, they're, you're in your psyche and you just, they, they make your day better because that's what you're focusing on. All right. Now we, you talked about the bedside, which made me think of something else that I wanted to ask you about. Um, this probably isn't so much recently with you being blind, but uh, let me just say that that over the past decade, there's been a lot of research that's come out about sleep. Yeah. And we know there's a lot of research about recovery, regeneration, restoring the body, post-workout, things like that. And we know that sleep is a big part of it. Now, my question to you is, I wake up in the middle of the night, maybe I go to the bathroom, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I think it's time to get up, and then I look and I see what time it is, and I go, oh, I can go back to sleep. For you, that's a little bit different. Now, I know with Alexa and Siri and all that stuff, it's probably changed your life uh, in, in those ways, but what was it like maybe before you could just ask the question, what time is it, that, that did that affect your, I'm just curious with this concept. Yeah. No, I mean, I know non-24 is a thing. And, you know, to be honest with you, my, my sleep schedule can get pretty messed up sometimes. Yeah. I So, I mean, I, de I definitely think there is something there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – it's they used to have these 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 watches that you'd wear. You'd flip up and, and kind of feel what time it is. And um, they, I love, you know, before, obviously, all this digital stuff, technology, um, they always said crickets were, were the blind man's favorite best friend. Why? Because they all was night outside. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's probably some ways you could kind of tell what time it was, but I do remember one story. I was in sophomore year of high school. I used to get up really early for high school, probably like 545. So I was always groggy and, you know, waking up that early and, and, and going to high school. And so I remember one, one morning I got up, I don't, I guess I must've dreamed it was my alarm or something. I got up. And I didn't hit the, the alarm clock to hear what time it was uh, or check my phone. So I got up. Quebec was kind of a little tired. I kind of was like, huh, like he's usually obviously wanting to get up and eat when I get up. Uh, so I, I went in there. I fed him. I took him outside, let him go to the bathroom. I came back inside and I checked my phone and it was like 1245. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight snack, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I figure there was there there were probably moments like that where it was like I don't know. 
Uh, I want to ask just a couple more questions before uh, before we wrap up. Uh, a couple that I again, you've got the opportunity to meet some really cool people. Uh, several times trying to say USC, you probably heard me say UFC. Uh, you can tell where my perspective comes from a lot. So there's a picture of you with Vitor Belfort, and uh, and I thought that was awesome. And for those of you who don't know, he was a a stellar. MMA fighter that fought in the UFC promotion. Um, how do you get to meet people like Vitor Belfort? And then what are some of the, have you ever been starstruck with some of the people you got a chance to meet? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, Vitor, coach, going back to coach Nick here, um, he, he trains down in, in Miami at a facility on there that, that trains a lot of NFL guys off season preparing for the combine or, um, you know, for, for their season. And then, uh, a lot of um, MMA guys train down there as well. And so Vitor is down there and, and he's just started training Vitor and uh, Vitor's son, Davi's, uh, well, I guess he reclassified, but he's, he's like a freshman in high school. And so he, um, he just started training kind of them down there. And, and so it's, it's, he flew out here for uh, an event that they're going to be doing, um, a cool commercial they're going to be doing with uh, Mike Tyson. So, he was in LA and I always love to see coach Nick when he's in town or when I, I, whenever I go visit him, but he was with Vitor and he's such a cool guy. Really, really awesome. Um, great competitor. Just really takes his, his, um, you know, profession and his, his art seriously and wants to become a master at it. You can tell he has obviously, but it's cool around to be around those competitor guys. The only person I really was starstruck being around where I kind of lost, you know, my, my, train of thought you know kind of the, the the teenage girl being around the rock star right like you, you're like all right i'm gonna say this this and this and you're like uh uh hi it was tiger absolutely tiger the first time oh I cool yeah yeah so i you know i i've i've met tiger a couple times since then you know we, we uh we're probably we have to get him out and play golf at some point but um but the first time i met him you know i just was I, it just being a golfer and understanding how hard the game of golf is to to realize what that guy did and, and to, to master golf and, and his profession to that extent. I, in my opinion, I don't think anyone's ever done anything in their respective sport the way Tiger has in golf. Like you're just not supposed to be able to do that in golf. Like, you know, we've seen since Tiger, since Tiger, you know, got injured and everything and he hasn't been as dominant as he was mm -hmm. like you saw Dustin Johnson try to kind of take that role. He was there. He's there. He's not, he's there. He's not, you know, you've seen, um, You've seen uh, Rory try to do that. He's there. He's going to be the next big thing. Then he's not. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy down from from Texas. Oh, I can't think of his name. Um, he won the Masters. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. But, oh. you know, there's there, there's like different golfers have come and try to take Tiger's spot, and they'll, they'll do it, you know, for a year, maybe a year and a half, and then they just kind of go away. And, and that's what golf is. I mean, that's literally what golf is. So for Tiger to do what he did – I'm telling you, it's almost it's above human, man. Like there's there's something there that's just like, oh my gosh. That's awesome. I remember the first time, uh the, probably the only time I've ever been starstruck is uh is because that's right now, Rick. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw I so I was a young uh martial artist and I did Chinese martial arts and I was a Chinese I did Chinese acrobatics. Okay. And one day I was in Los Angeles at a, a courtyard at the Montage Hotel and Jackie Chan walked by. 
There you go. And I was talking on the phone to my wife and I went, I think Jackie Chan walked by. Jackie Chan just walked by. And she goes, oh, that's cool. And I went, stop talking. And I went, I'm so sorry. I should never have said stop talking, but I just needed, I needed this moment. I needed it. So yeah. I didn't even talk to him. He just walked by me. <laughs> so that was, that was probably the only time I've ever been in Star Trek, Starstruck. A uh, couple, just last question. Well, probably some something stemming off of it. If if you have time, it's uh, we've been at it for about forty eight minutes. So if you got a couple more minutes, I got a couple more questions. Let's go. All right, cool. Um, one is question about balance. As you know, NASM talks about balance within every one of the phases of the OPT model. Yeah. Um, how does how does being blind affect your balance? I've had the opportunity to train people that were deaf. And and balance is seriously affected uh, in those that are deaf. So, but you know, we'll progress challenges with people by saying for them having them close their eyes, and then all of a sudden, something that seemed very simple with balance becomes incredibly difficult. What is that like for you? Yeah, you know, I think you know I was blessed to see for twelve years, so I think that's kind of you know helped my equilibrium a lot. But um, with my ears, you know, just kind of and and just my feel. You know, I, I think I really do have, have great proprioception in the fact that I really do have good balance. Um, you know, is, is it great? No. Can it be trained? Yeah, that's actually something that I took from the from from getting my certificate where I've, I've started implementing more balance and I've, I've gotten a lot better at it, to be honest. But um, it is something that, yeah, I, I, I know a lot of blind people actually do struggle with. And but for me, you know, I just I really... I, God bless me with some great ears. You know, I really do use them for almost everything. And um, it is something that just being able to kind of hear how big a room is, you know, using directionally to orient myself and definitely with balance as well. That's really interesting. Do you, um, do you, did you take anything from the NASM coursework? Like as you're going through it and you're studying it, kind of like you mentioned with balance, you're implementing that a little bit more. Are there some other things that, that you kind of went through in the text and studied and was like, I don't think I've ever done that. Let me give that a try. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, you know, obviously, as I mentioned, um, going into freshman year of college, working with coach Nick, you know, the number one thing was to kind of to blow up as much as possible, right. Just to, 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 to have you know hypertrophy that's the first time I ever learned that word was my freshman year of, of college I didn't really understand it too much but it was just like okay let's get the muscle as big as it can hypertrophy hypertrophy there you go yeah yeah um, I you know I, I and I loved it you know and it's, it's honestly one of the probably the my favorite way to lift still but you know I always did want to kind of add more strength to it and I kind of understood hey okay you know work a little harder um, or you know load the load the bar up a little more less reps, you know, kind of tax that nervous system in a different way. But I never really understood that max strength was, you know, as, as we say, you know, one, one to five reps, um, you know, four to six sets. Like th th there, there is an actual formula there of like, hey, this is actually, if you want to max, you know, your, your strength out, you really do have to train that way. I'm never trained that way. And, and honestly, um, I'm probably going to start training that way in, in about three weeks. Um, I, I kind of really wanted to, what was cool on a side note here, because gyms were closed down for three months, I really wasn't able to do a lot. So in that time, um, at the near the end of it, once I knew I was going to have the means to start working out again, I really implemented the stabilization part of NASM, the OPT model. So I, I was ready to kind of go again, 
make sure that you know nothing happened in those those three months that was going to affect me. I, you know, I'm not going to go load the bar up and try to do what I was doing before the three months, which I think probably will save me of, of, of an injury that otherwise I probably would have would have known. And that's something that I think we need to probably tell people once they start working out after you know this pandemic's over that your body wasn't where it was when it was going into this. Like you do need to kind of so yeah nervous system to make sure that everything's good to go once you want to start you know working out how you you used to no that's a that's a great point we really do need to to point out like if you're going to go back to your your high intensity classes and you know your your workouts on your own don't think that you're going to pick up where you left off that's just not how it's going to work yeah yeah, man. Um, so I want to one more time, just let you know, uh, I know you've been doing stabilization stuff for a few months, but you still look jacked, bro. You still look jacked. <laughs> <laughs> right, man. I, I was, I was, that was one of the things, man, like April and May, I was, man, dude, like, I'm just, I know it's, you know, atrophy doesn't work that fast, but I still, I just, you know, you, you're not lifting the waist. You start, you start, your mind starts playing games on you, you know, it's like my bicep feels small. Yeah, it's true. You, you like end up like curling the the edge of the couch and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Watching me at home, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Jake, it's been a pleasure having you on this show, man. I appreciate you so much sharing your story, uh, explaining what goes on day to day, background, history, but also like just the opportunity to talk about sports and exercise and lifting and that stuff man sharing that with us has been fantastic yeah man i appreciate this rick it was, it was awesome like i said it's, it's the uh one of the one of the only interviews i've ever done that, that i was able to talk about this so i was stoked to do it oh man well i appreciate it i'd love to meet you at some point so if you're ever in new york city or if I, are you based in southern california yeah i am but you know I, I i do travel a lot to speak so um i i definitely had stuff that was in new york that got rescheduled for next year so i know i'm coming out there well my friend reach out if you're in the city uh i'd love to meet up with you and if i'm ever planning on coming out there and, and the same thing there are conferences and things like that that tend to take place and if i'm out in southern california I'll give you a I'll give you a little uh, tap on the shoulder and see if uh, if you're available to meet. Absolutely, appreciate it, guys. Uh, it's been awesome, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. This is the NASM CPT podcast.